We're reading today from Habakkuk chapter 3, and we're going to read again the first 16 verses of the chapter. Habakkuk chapter 3, we're reading from verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading, of course, from the authorized version, and we will encourage many of you to follow with us in the Holy Scriptures. The words will come up on the screen, but we'd also ask you to follow the words in your own Bible. Let's hear the word of the Lord. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigeonoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan and affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea, that thou did ride upon thy horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou did cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice, and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou did march through the land in indignation. Thou did thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou windest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck, Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou did walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great water, when I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing. This reading of his own infallible and an errant word. Now my text today is taken from Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 16. It reads as follows, When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. 
And I want us to think today of the theme from this text of Scripture, the book price for revival. Now, as we continue on the subject, a real, true, genuine revival of biblical religion, this is now my sixth message on this particular theme, and we have tried to center it in this prophecy of Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk, remember, was passionate about and praying for and longing for a real, true, genuine revival in his day and generation. Now, I believe in the glorious power of God to revive his church. God does and God has poured forth a gracious, glorious manifestation of his divine presence and power in days that are past. There have been times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. There have been days when heaven, as it were, came to this earth, when God himself came down in power and glory. God is sovereign, remember, in relation to revival. God is a set time to favor Zion. That was particularly true of the land of Israel and its people. But it's wide enough to uh, set forth the theme that God does and has and will favor his people. And it's linked to such times. It's tied into the fact that God's people have been made graciously willing to accept and embrace and comply with the book price for a true revival. Yes, God is sovereign in sending revival. But God's people have an awesome responsibility in relation to the blessing of that revival being received. I remember the late Dr. Paisley preaching from Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and the title sermon was God's People Hold the Key to Revival. Now, there's plenty of evidence for this fact and this reality in the scriptures. Did you know that in the days of Seth, there was a mighty move of the Spirit of God when men began to call upon the name of the Lord? They were asking, is the Lord amongst us? Can we not ask that question today? They were asking, where's his power and glory? They were asking, why are we so powerless? Where's the blessing of God? And what did they do? They started to seek the Lord. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 32. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. I came across a little Interesting verse in the prophecy of Zechariah. In Zechariah 8 and 21, it says, And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. And then we could add in days of Moses, Joshua, Samuel, Elijah. Was that not a revival situation in Mount Carmel where there's an acknowledgement of Jehovah as the only living and true God? Days when the fire of the Lord fell? What about the days of Nehemiah, the days of Ezra, the, the days that stretched right up to the day of Pentecost itself? Remember what happened in the day of Pentecost? 
Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 1 and 2. What do we read in the scriptures? Let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's remind ourselves of what took place at that time. Here's what the word of God says. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. You see, there's loads of biblical evidence. God got hold of men or a man. And those men got a hold of God. So much so that there was a restoration of the gracious presence and power of God in his church. And I want to say that the great need in the 21st century is the need for such men today. Men whom God has got a hold of, but men who also have got a hold of God. You think of centuries past, 16th century, the great Protestant Reformation, I believe was the greatest revival since the day of Pentecost, a day when there was a rediscovery of the gospel centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And was there not a great turning to the Lord throughout the countries of Europe, Germany, France, United Kingdom? You think of men like Luther, Calvin, Knox, Zwingli. We could mention many others. Think of the Puritan age, the, the, the days even of um, the tinker of Bedford, um, who, who was a, a mighty man of God, John Bunyan. You, you think of the 18th century awakening in England, men like George Whitfield and John Wesley. Think of 1859. Year of grace here in Northern Ireland. You, you, you add into the mix men like Spurgeon and men like J.C. Ryle. Men like Evan Roberts who saw a great revival break out in Wales in 1904. When the whole of Wales seemed as if it was a place for God. I, I think of 1921 in England in a place called Lowestoft. And it moved right up the coast into the lowlands of Scotland. And it was the mighty ministry of a man called Jock Troop that was involved. You, you think of 1920-21 here in Northern Ireland. Almost a hundred years ago to the day. And how the land was turned upside down again for God through the ministry of the Reverend W.P. Nicholson. I think of 1949 in Lewis, where there was a mighty revival broke out there under the ministry of the Reverend Duncan Campbell. You see, these men were men of a rare breed. These were men of God. They were not out to be popular. They were not lining up to sign autographs or, or pleading with people to take my photograph or, 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 or uh, into the, the, the money bandwagon. No, no, these were men of God. These were men whom God had got a hold of and men who had got a hold of God. These men had trembled in the very presence of God. Some of you are older enough than me to remember the blessings of God in the Free Presbyterian Church, the 1960s, the 70s and 80s, under the ministry of the late Dr. Paisley, when this church was ablaze with the presence and power of God. You see, in each of these revivals that I've mentioned, here's the point this morning. God has raised up men. Men full of the Holy Ghost and power. Men who are gripped with a fear of God. Men who long to see the presence and power of God again 
restored to his church. Men who knew God. Men who were seeking God. Men who were passionate enough to pray for revival. Wilt thou not revive us again that we thy people may rejoice in thee? These men hated sin. And, and they, they, they loved righteousness. And these men wanted God to come. They were prompted by the Holy Spirit. Their whole heart was stirred. They wanted nothing but God to come. I want to tell you this morning. Habakkuk was such a man. What do we read of him? When I heard. Heard what? The voice of God. The speech of the Lord. When I heard about his character and his conduct, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones. I trembled in myself. You see, one of the problems today in the 21st century, in the Christian church, is this. And I say this to my shame. I'm content to live without the glory and the fire of God. Without the real conscious sense of his presence and power. In a real manifold way. Is that not true today when we come to the house of God? We can come and go so lightly. Is that not true when the day of God comes? Have we not lost the joy and excitement and delight of the Sabbath? Is that not true when we think about the throne of God? Whether in days of trouble or of times of need. Yes, we have his presence. Just like they had the ark. In the Old Testament times, the ark was symbolic of the presence of God. But where was that Shekinah glory? Where was the fire? You see, the children of Israel for many centuries were not conscious of it. That They had lost the reality of it. They were not living in the very Shekinah presence of God. That They were not broken. They were not trembling. They were not fearful before him. So much so that... They, they lost the blessing of God. See, people are asking today, where's the God of Elijah? Wouldn't we love to see the God of Elijah manifest his great power in our day and generation? But we need to think of the flip side. Where are the Elijahs of God? Do you know what we need? We need men and women and young people who know God who are filled with such a sense of the fear and dread of him. Young people who, who tremble in his presence. You see, we look back. Where's Elijah? Where's the Nicholsons? Where's the Pastor Willie Mullins? Where's, where's the Dr. Paisley's today? The Duncan Campbells. See, the Lord has taken them home. These men were not perfect. They were men with faults and flaws, like all men. As I said in the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, remember, Christians are forgiven, but they're not perfect. And we want to add to that statement, they should have a desire and a longing for holiness of heart and life, so much so that they can't live without the Lord. See, I've asked myself this question, folks. Will we see another revival? We, we look at our church. We see our weak and powerless. We see and hear her infighting, lack of concern. Oh, we have a concern for things socially and materially. 
It's right we have a concern for the poor and needy. That's why this church, through the generous gift of some, have given out 20 outreach hampers to people in need. We think about the homeless at this time. We think about those that are sick and those that are ill and those in hospital and those shut into their homes and those that have to isolate. And it's right that we be concerned for that. But you know, it's one thing to have a concern for the poor and needy and the sick and the ill. But where's the church's concern for the glory and honor of God? Where's the church's concern for the loss of his presence? For the loss of his power? Is the church not stamped with worldliness and coldness and carelessness and covetousness and sinfulness? It is. And there's one thing missing. A longing for God to come. A longing for a mighty move of the Holy Spirit of God to restore to us that conscious sense of God's presence. So that we'll not miss the Lord's day. So we'll make sure that we're twice in the house of God on the Sabbath. And in every opportunity we'll have the book and we'll be crying out for a word from him. We'll want to meet with him. If we go back to that question, when will revival come? Here's the answer. When God's people are prepared for the book price for revival. Now, I believe God is sovereign in sending a true and genuine revival amongst his people. God will not be hindered. God will not be hurried. But I also believe in the necessity to prepare our hearts and lives before the Lord. So much so that if we pay the book price, then I believe God will pour forth a blessing individually upon our families, but also upon his church. See, I believe this morning it's God's will to revive his church. I've given you the evidence. There's biblical evidence. There's historical evidence in society. I don't believe it's God's will that his church remains cold and lukewarm and covetous and careless and sinful and living in disobedience to him. You think of Habakkuk. He's praying for revival. I have heard thy speech. Isn't that what he says? Look at chapter 3, verse 2. Oh Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. See, here he heard that God was coming. Coming in power and glory. Coming to judge sin. Coming amongst his people. And what, what was his response He trembled. He was living in light of the day when God was coming to bless his people and to judge sin. I was thinking this week, I've read quite a lot. I've listened to some preachers online. And I've asked myself this, what is the book price for revival? Some of them I listened to I was disappointed in because I, I thought they never really got to the point. There was three things came to me after Wednesday night Bible study prayer meeting. I was lying in bed and I, I, I thought them in my head. Three thoughts. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Very quickly, let's think about here's the book price for revival. So if you're paying for revival, this is what we need. A total consecration of heart and life before the Lord. Whenever Habakkuk said, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid, how did that affect him? If you look at verse 16, here's how he was affected. 
When I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered in my, into my bones, and I trembled in my self. See, Habakkuk is in awe of God. He's thinking of God's person and work. He's lost himself in awe of this God who is coming in wrath to judge sin. And this God who's coming in mercy to bless his saints. And he's taking up with the wrath and the holiness of God. Over there in Psalm 119 and in the verse 120. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and in verse 120. Listen to the word of God. My flesh trembled for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. And in light of that, what do we do? Well, listen to the advice of Moses. Exodus, verse, Exodus 32, verse 29. This is what he said. For Moses had said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. Even every man upon his son and upon his brother. That he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. When we think of God's past dealings with us. Habakkuk did. He, he thought of the downfall of Pharaoh and the overthrow of his army and chariots in the Dead Sea. That's what he was referring to here. He, he was thinking about the wiping out of the uh, Egyptian army in the days of Moses at the time of the Exodus. He was thinking of Joshua the day that, that the sun was, was made to stand still in their habitation. He was thinking of the downfall of God's enemies, God triumphing over the wicked. He was thinking of how God came down in great power and wrath. And at the thought of that, every fiber of his being trembled. In other words, he was trembling at the power, the glory, the holiness, and the wrath of God. And he was thinking, how am I going to fulfill the office of a preacher? How can I utter this truth among the people? How can I prophesy? How, how can I speak of this terror? He says, my lips quivered at the voice. In other words, he was affected. Not only in his innermost belly, not only in his lips, but think of his bones. Is the bone not the, the strongest part of the human body? Think of the, the skeleton that holds all the flesh together. And yet the bones are usually the last part to decay. You, you, you could dig up a corpse and you could get the skeleton. The flesh is gone. And what he was saying, rottenness entered into my bones. A, a sense of corruption entered into them. Uh, they, they melted inside themselves. They, they, they trembled when he came up amongst his people. As I've said, I believe that a total consecration of heart and life is something that's missing before the Lord today. And this is part of that book price for revival. Is this not true in salvation? Remember when Saul of Tarsus was converted on the road to Damascus? What was the first thing he asked? After he had asked, who art thou, Lord, and got the answer, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What was his next response? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
You, you see, whenever Paul was converted, he recognized that he had come immediately under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not a problem today. In the church, when people want to divide Christ and they want to have Christ as their savior and the assurance that their sins are forgiven and they're going to heaven, but they don't want Christ as Lord. He's not the Lord of their life. As C.T. Studd said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You can't divide Christ. And even in salvation, there has to be a total consecration of heart and life unto the Lord. When you receive Christ, you receive the whole Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, you embrace the teaching about his humanity, the teaching about his ministry, and the teaching about his deity. That's where I said in that real Christmas message that we're going to put out on Christmas Eve, that the doctrine of the incarnation and virgin birth is a fundamental and foundational tenet of the Christian faith. And if you don't believe that and accept that and embrace that, then you cannot be a true Christian. But it's also true in sanctification. You see, nowhere does the Bible teach that a man can be justified, redeemed by blood. A man can be pardoned from all his sins and adopted into God's family, but choose to live as he pleases. Holiness of heart and life is essential. As I said, on Wednesday night, Christians are forgiven, not perfect. But I wanted to add the bumper sticker in the car, and it was this. They must strive for holiness. See, holiness of life is not an optional act. When you trust him as Lord and Savior, you'll give your heart and life to him. You will live for him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. It's God's will. Remember what Peter says there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy. For I am holy. Many have an outward profession. But yet the reality is, folks, I'm not as spiritual as you think I am. And I, I think we should face up to that honestly and admit that humbly before the Lord. There's none of us as spiritual as we think we are. You think of our sins and our shortcomings. Our lusts, our lies, our, our temper. Sometimes we, we lose our temper. Sometimes we may be even cursing our thoughts or, or under our breath. You, you think of the things that we can be content enough to watch, perhaps on the television or on the internet. We're not afraid to offend God. We're, we're, we're not afraid to grieve or vex the Holy Spirit. Turn over there to Psalm 23. I was thinking of this psalm this morning. Psalm 23. Look at the words in verses 3 and 4. It's linked to the blessing of God, you see. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? You think about entering into God's presence, coming before the Lord. Here's the answer, verse 4. Do you see that? He that have clean hands... And a pure heart, who have not lifted up a soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He, this individual, what shall he receive? The blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of 
his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Not only outward holiness of heart and life, but inward holiness of heart and life. Because true religion has to be a heart work. The true Christian's concern will be for holiness, not only without, for within, in his thoughts, in his words, in his deeds. And is that not the great need of the hour? Do we not have to confess that we have little concern for purity of heart and life and therefore we have failed to present ourselves to the Lord? Would we have failed like those Corinthians who first gave themselves to the Lord? I, I hear Paul's call. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I go back to C.T. Studd, the millionaire who gave us millions away to, to live for the honor and glory of the Lord. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me. And where does that sacrifice start? By giving ourselves to the Lord. Let me ask you, are you saved this morning? Do you aspire for a life of sanctification? Do you aspire for a holy life? Have you handed your life completely over to the Lord? Are you trusting in his saving and keeping power? Do, do you uh, have a testimony to a life of holiness where you hate sin and, and mourn your sin and a testimony that you want the blessing of God in your life and your family and in your church? You see, there's a story told about Lewis where revival broke out in 1949. There was a number of men that had gathered for a few years before that for prayer along with two godly women and they were waiting on God to come and revival power and blessing in 1949 and one young man in the gathering of the elders had read the words of Psalm 24 and this is what he prayed he prayed Lord are my hands clean Lord is my heart pure Lord, we're here, we're praying words, we're mouthing nice sentiments, but if we're not rightly related to you, we'll not receive the blessing. And at that moment, the power of God broke forth in that meeting. There was an awful sense of God's presence came, and there was brokenness, and there was tears, and, and brethren were getting right with each other. You see, a true revival is always related to holiness of heart and life. A true revival is related to the entire consecration of his people to him. Here's Habakkuk. What's he doing? He's trembling. He's trembling before the Lord. He's trembling because of this need for totally consecrating himself in heart and life before the Lord. How do we see ourselves today? Is this your experience? Let me move quickly and secondly. Here's the second book price for true revival. Not only a total consecration of heart and life to the Lord, but a total commitment of heart and life to the Lord. You see, if we're totally consecrated, here's what will happen. We'll hear from heaven and we'll be troubled. We'll be affected by what God is saying to us out of the book. 
I'm a God of wrath. I'm a God of mercy. And we'll be affected. And we'll be thinking, well, how does God want me to live? If you remember back in the wee schoolhouse many, many years ago, the late Dr. Paisley came, and one of his last messages that he preached to us was Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. And here's part of that commitment. You'll remember to tithe. The question is asked in Malachi 3 and verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? Here's his answer. In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Listen to verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Malachi saying, you're robbing God. And they're asking, well, how? And here's his answer. You've been withholding tithes and offerings. You haven't been paying the tithes that are due. The Lord of hosts is speaking. And he's saying, prove me now. You, you, you pay your dues. You remember to do this as unto me. You're not doing it to men. You, you're doing it as unto me. And see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. That is part of the true revival price. Obedience even in the area of giving. Yes, give ourselves heart and life. But if we give ourselves, we will also be prepared to give our, our tithe. Remember the Lord's eyes upon us. The Lord's the only one that sits at the treasury. It's not the pastor, not the clerk of session, not the elders, not the deacons. Remember he commanded the widow who had given her what? She had given all that she had. She had given the tiniest sum that she could. The widow's mate. Wonder how much it was. God, I believe, had a special place for the widows. Because the widows in particular. And the widowers are the ones that tithe to the work of God. There's total commitment. And this is what's involved. Remember your time. Turn over there to Ephesians 5. Look with me at verse 16. What did the Apostle Paul say to the church at Ephesus? A church who had lost its love, first love over time for the Lord. He said this in Ephesians 5 and 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You see, it's tremendous that we tithe our money. But Leonard Ravenhill suggests we should be tithing our time. He's saying that that's the least we can do. In a 24-hour day, there should be two hours and 40 minutes spent with the Lord every day, talking to him, listening to him, reading his word, and meditating upon his truth. The truth is we're too busy. Preachers are too busy. People are too busy. But we need to, to take time out and, and get alone with God and, and meet with God in secret. Is this not what the Lord Jesus taught over there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6? And remember what he says there in um, verse 6. He says this, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which saith in secret shall reward thee openly. Leonard Ravenhill spoke about a man in Japan he worked from nine to five. Maybe you're doing a nine to five job and that's tough enough. I, I think of the hymn uh, or the song, working nine to five, it always comes into my mind. And I think about those who are doing a nine to five job and don't get much credit for it. But this man came home, 7 p.m. 
He was out on the doors. He was on the doors to 2 a.m. in the morning. He went from house to house and he wasn't presenting Jesus Christ, Lord of all. He wasn't presenting the great fundamental truths of the gospel. He was peddling the religion of a false cult. He went home at 2 a.m. every morning. He, he, he washed. He, he ate some food. And then he, he said that he prayed to his God to 4 a.m. every morning. And then he went to sleep and got up at half eight and then went to his work for nine. Leonard Ravenhill has suggested that the problem in the modern church is we are playing a church. We're not living for the Lord as we ought. And that's seen in our attitude to our time. He suggests that we're living for self. Our minds and job security, our finances, our home, our cars, our holidays. But we're not thinking about the world that's lost in sin. We're not thinking about the drunkenness that's manifested in society today. Or the drug addiction. Or the level of divorce rate even in the church. And we'd add into the picture the iniquity and the immorality and the idolatry of the day. And the homosexuality. And, and you see it hasn't affected us. It's not breaking our heart. We're not going like Habakkuk and crying. Oh Lord. How long shall I cry? See, I believe we need to hear from God. The Free Presbyterian Church needs to hear from God. And one of the things that the Lord is saying to us, if we're saying we're, we're consecrated to the Lord, here's the proof of that commitment. We'll not only remember the tithe, but we'll remember the time. We'll think of the time that God has given us. Acknowledge that we're accountable to him. And we'll acknowledge that we must use our time well and wisely for his glory and honor. And that will impact upon attending the house of God. That will make sure that we're at the prayer meeting. That will make sure that we give ourselves a time to private prayer. That will think of the time that we give, not only to meeting with God, but for speaking for him. Leonard Ravenhill again suggests that no church is greater than its prayer meeting. And yet is the prayer meeting not the weakest meeting in the church? Do we not need the old days whenever the prayer meetings were boned? When you could hardly get your tongue in edgeways? When there was prayer warriors who were laying hold of God with fire? Here's another. Remember to trust. What does Habakkuk say in our text? That I might rest in the day of trouble. He recognized the church is in trouble. Judgment is coming for our sin. And yet God will be merciful to his saints. So he's praying for God to revive his church. But what's he doing? He has a hunger for God. He has a thirst for him. He knows I'm facing trouble. The church is facing trouble. And what does he do? He, he rests in the Lord. Maybe you're facing trouble right now. You're listening to me. You've got problems at home, problems in relationships, problem with finance, problem with job, problems in your health. Maybe you're struggling with the death of a dear loved one and you just can't get over that. What are you to do in that time? You're, you say you're saved and you're committed to the Lord. Well, remember to trust him. Because as for God, his way is perfect. 
And remember what the psalmist said in, in, in Psalm 62 and in the verse 8. He, he made a tremendous statement there. One that has blessed my own soul in many, many days that are past. And it's this in Psalm 62 and verse 8. Let me read it to you. Trust in him at all times, you people. Good times and bad times. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Trust his word. Trust in his will. Trust his ways. Because they're past finding out. What is faith? It's forsaking all I trust him. So we have to trust. But remember to talk. Wasn't that what Habakkuk was doing? He had heard the speech of God. Why? Because he was talking to the Lord. And BT said, good to talk. And it is. Oh, that we could learn to, to talk to the Lord in prayer. Oh, that we could learn to travail in prayer. We need to be honest. We need to be humble. We, we need to come before him. Lord, this is how I feel. Lord, this is how I see things. Lord, this is my limited insight in my relationship with you. The channel of communication must be open. You think of this, the four young men that come into the schoolhouse in Kells in 18, um, uh, 56, 57, 58. They had a hunger and thirst for God. And you know what I would love? I would love young people that have a hunger and thirst for God like these young men. James McQuilkin, Jeremiah McNeely, Robert Carlyle, John Wallace. Who, who were thirsting for God. Who were fed up with the way things are. And who wanted something different. What were they doing? They, they, they remembered to talk to the Lord. They, they travailed to him. Maybe we could use the word remember to travail rather than talk. Travail in prayer. It's missing. That's what Habakkuk was doing. And there's the proof of his commitment. Let me close because our time has gone on. There's a total confidence of heart and life in the Lord. You, you look at our text. Back to Habakkuk there. And what, what, does, what does Habakkuk 3 and 16 tell us? It tells us something very interesting. I wonder did you pick it up? Notice what he says there. When he cometh up unto his people, he will invade them with his troops. Ponder that. It's a day of wrath. He's going to cut the enemies and people in pieces. He's going to be merciful to his sins, but he will deal with sin and punish iniquity. And, and ask yourself this what is our greatest need? And it's this, the Lord to come in power and glory. The Lord to restore his presence and his power amongst us. And that's exactly, folks, what Habakkuk was praying for. When he cometh up unto his people. That's what we need, Lord. You in the center place in the midst of the land. He longed for that to be a felt reality. I, I close, if you turn back there to Second Chronicles. And look with me at chapter 5. Because all of these are linked up in the scriptures. Second Chronicles chapter 5. And look with me at verse 13 and 14. It says, It came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. 
that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. And it says in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, in verse 1, And when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Do you see the reference, the link to the glory of the Lord? We need a return to the glory of the Lord. We need a return to the fire of the Lord. That's what the Lord was doing in Solomon's day. He was restoring to Israel what had been given in a former day, in the days of Moses, and the pillar of uh, cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It, it, it somehow over the centuries had, had been lost to its absence. It was the constant experience of the children of Israel in the days of Moses. Uh, Numbers 9 and verse 16. A cloudy pillar, a pillar of fire, a sign of the glory of God amongst them. And yet from the, that time, Numbers 9, 16, right up to the days of Solomon, hundreds of years, there's not one mention of the glory of God except in the days of Samuel, the glory is departed. From the book of Deuteronomy to the days of Solomon, the glory had departed. The fire had gone. Solomon's praying for it to be restored. You see, he had confidence in the Lord. There's a new generation needs to see it, needs to experience it, Lord. And here's in the days of Habakkuk taking up the same theme. When he cometh up unto the people. And if you link it up in verse 3, it says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah, his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Here's the book praise for Revival. A total consecration of heart and life to the Lord. Will you give yourselves to the Lord this morning, young and old alike? Not only for salvation, but for sanctification. Will you display a total commitment in heart and life to the Lord? And you'll remember these things I've talked about. We could remember many others. They're all tied in, tithing time, uh, uh, travailing before the Lord, trusting him with a spirit of humility and brokenness. And a total confidence of heart and life in the Lord. Our greatest need is for you to come, Lord. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning. Pray for me that the Lord will write them in my heart today.